Well, thank you for uh, your encouragement to us, not just in that specific way, but really all throughout the year. You guys are such a blessing to us, our family, and it is our joy and privilege uh, to serve here. Um, I would like to send uh, special greetings to those that are with us that are our guests, and we're grateful for the opportunity to to worship with you uh, as we gather to celebrate the faithfulness of God, especially at Christmas time. Um, I, I don't know about you, but it's one of those things where I, I don't think that Christmas can come soon enough every year because it's a reminder that God is with us. And He's with us every day. He's with us all the time. Now, but these moments and times for us to gather um, and to reflect on the gift of Jesus are, are sure good for our hearts as we know that God is with us. I, I pray that you know that God is with you today. Um, maybe, you know, a, a reminder through a song that you heard this morning, or um, I'd like to say a familiar text, but we're not going there this morning. Um, but that God would just show himself to you in a special way and that this week and as you enter uh, next weekend, um, he would just be so present in your life. Uh, I would like to encourage you all to come back next Sunday. Uh, we have a, a wonderful worship service um, to, to uh, plan for next Sunday morning and then also our candlelight service, which is always a special time of year. It's very family friendly. And, and so if uh, you, you're worried about your kids, you know, staying up a little late and um, can they sit through a whole service? It'll be OK. It's very family friendly and it's a, a great uh, finish to our Christmas Christmas worship uh, season. And so I, I want to pray for us right now and ask that God's spirit would open our hearts to his word. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for this time uh, to gather and to lift up your name. We are grateful, Father, for the way that you show your love to us. You are present with us today in these moments as we open your word and hear from you. And you are so good in showing us love and that you sent your son, Jesus, to come to take our place on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for paying for our sins, for forgiving us, for meeting us in our greatest need, for being with us every day. Thank you, Jesus, that you are so close that we are never too far away from you, that we can cry out to you at any moment and that you hear us because you care for us. As we open this word this morning, your holy word, may we see you. May we see you in a special way and our hearts be encouraged to know that God is with us. Thank you for your grace and for the privilege to gather in this way as a community of believers. God, I pray that you would bless each person here. God, I pray that whatever season they're going through, whether it's a time of great joy or a time of great sorrow, that they would see you as the faithful Lord. And Father, just have your way in our lives now. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this chapter 
uh, in this book that is fit into the New Testament as a reminder of the superiority of Jesus Christ. And that's really what the author of Hebrews is saying. Uh, we're not sure exactly who wrote this book. Uh, we, d- we know that God wrote it. He wrote it to us and for us. And, and, and the main theme, the main message of this whole book, the, the chapters that are contained, is that Jesus is superior to everything else. And so as we've been looking over the last few weeks, uh, very quickly in this book, the, the letter begins... And God shines a spotlight on his son. And he does it to remind us that in everything else in this world that can distract us and take our attention away from who Jesus is, that we need to be a people that continually keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting in the passage that we're going to look at this morning is it begins with a simple statement, having become as much better than the angels. Uh, The author then shifts our attention to the superiority of Christ, even over the angelic beings. Now, when you think about it, if you've spent any time uh, reading God's word, maybe even as you're reminded of the Christmas story, we know that angels are God's messengers and that they are crucial to God's activity in the world today. So angels are important. And yet they are often misunderstood and they're elevated to positions that they do not deserve. We live in a world that is constantly confused about spiritual things. And we know that because we know that our enemy, the devil, is trying to confuse us. And he takes good things and makes them confusing things. And angels can even fall into that category. Christmas becomes one of those reminders of the angel's significance because when we read the Christmas story, we know that the angels were active visiting Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. We know that God had sent these messengers in a specific way to remind his people of what he was doing. But then during the Christmas season, we know that we kind of take those angelic messengers and and we elevate them in a way that we should never. We're preoccupied with angels as a culture. They're depicted as strumming babes fluttering through the air. They're depicted as tokens that we put on our dashboards or wear on a pendant around our neck. They become characters like Clarence and It's a Wonderful Life, right? And every time you hear a bell ring... What happens? Yeah, that's not in the Bible. (laughs) If that's one of your favorite movies, sorry. But we forget. We forget their place and order of God's creation. They are created beings. They were created before us. But they are still created And I think at times we become distracted by their activity as we attach greater value on them than the one who made them. I remember when I was a kid, there was a show, Touched by an Angel. And very popular because I think people are are drawn towards the sentimentality of something that they can see in in, in the religious world. 
And, and we're drawn to angels because it's like, oh, okay, we can kind of have a compartment. And, and in a world that doesn't want to hear anything of Jesus, we can mention angels and the world is like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And yet we need to keep our focus on the one who made the angels, the Lord of the angels. Hebrews 1 verses 4 through 14 sets the record straight for us of their place in the superiority of Jesus. The author of Hebrews introduces us quickly to this theme. Jesus is superior. He is the final word from God. We know that God in, in the Old Testament spoke long ago, as verse 1 says, through the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, and in these last days has spoken to us in His Son. Jesus is the final word. Christmas is the reminder that God has said all that He needs to say, and we need to keep our eyes fixed on His Son. We looked last week through characteristics of this sun and we compared it to like a diamond and the light reflecting off of it. And we just see the different ways that the light reflects off the diamond, that we see the splendor of Jesus. And now we're going to see that Christ is superior to even the angels who are active in God's service. Now, the angels were important to the people of God. They were. Uh, we, we don't want to minimize that or dismiss it altogether. Yeah, for these people that the author was writing to, they, they had a, a Jewish background. They understood the Old Testament. They understood what God was doing in different ways and different times as the angels would come and visit to bring about a word from the Lord. We know that in the Old Testament that angels are mentioned over a hundred times in the narrative. We know from Acts chapter 7 verse 38 in a New Testament passage that Luke was inspired to write that the angels were involved in sending down the law from God to Moses. And it was in that way that these Jewish people venerated the angels. They worshiped the angels. And, and, and God is saying, whoa, slow down, pause. Because they are never meant to be elevated to those positions that are only due to the Lord himself. The angels were important to God's plans and purposes. These people that wrote that read this letter understood the story of the old covenant, the old the old way that God had mediated his relationship with him, that it was through the law, that it was through sacrifices, that it was through going to God in a way that you understood that you were unclean because of your sin and you needed to be made clean through the blood of the sacrifices offered. And in this old covenant that God made with his people, Israel, God was promising something better in that old covenant. And here the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is better. That Jesus has inaugurated through his coming and through his death on the cross, a far superior covenant than the old covenant that was never meant to be the final word from God. But in this new covenant, the blood of Jesus has paid for every sin and that it is only through Jesus that we have true access to the Father. God shows us in his word that through the foundation of all the promises that he has made, that the Messiah is the superior one as the son of God who created the angels for the Lord's service. So what we're going to do this morning 
just for a few moments, is we're going to look at this passage, verses 4 through 14, over this week and next week. Uh, Today we're going to look at a few verses, verses 4 through 7 and then verses 13 and 14, as we focus on the things that God has not said to the angels. And next week, when you come back and join us, we're going to focus on the things that God has said to his son. Now, what's interesting is this morning when we talk about the things that God hasn't said to the angels, he said it to his son. And so we're focusing on these things. But but I appreciated the way that the author kind of draws our attention away from the angels and towards the son and, and highlights the fact that God has certainly said things about Jesus that he has said about no one else. And I think it's important for us this morning to draw our attention to those things that are truly unique about Jesus so that we are not tempted to kind of fade away in our understanding of who Jesus is and that we would be reminded of the sufficiency of Christ in our lives and in this world. And so we look at verse four and the author says, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And this really serves as the purpose statement for the rest of these verses. The author is saying that Jesus is much better than the angels. He has a better name than the angels. Now this phrase, having become as much better than the angels, has confused some people who have studied the Bible. They hear that phrase, having become, and they think, well, he must have a starting point. He has become. And like the angels were created, they kind of put Jesus on the same level. But what's interesting in the original language uh, that this book was written, the Greek language, this word become doesn't refer to existence, but it refers to a change of state. He became a change of state. Now, what does that mean for us? Well, isn't Christmas the grand reminder that Jesus left heaven to come to the earth and he took on human flesh. He was born as a babe. He didn't begin in the nativity scene, but he condescended himself in deity and took on flesh to be like us, to live the perfect life, to be the sacrifice that was necessary to pay for our sins. Jesus, having become as much better than the angels, Jesus did something that no angel could do. And in that way, he inherited a more excellent name than they. His name as son, which is highlighted all throughout this passage, that Jesus is the son, is greater than sons, which is used of the angels even in the Old Testament. Like in Job chapter 2, when the angels, the heavenly host, are referred to as the sons of God. No angel carries the title son. That is only reserved for Jesus Christ. So what is this more excellent name? And as the song goes, there is certainly something about that name. The name of Jesus. That brings comfort. That brings hope. That brings amazing possibility. There is something about his name. What do we learn about him in these verses? 
Well, in verse 5 we read, For to which of the angels did he ever say? The things that we're going to read about in the remaining verses. When did God ever say anything like what he said here concerning angels? And the author is saying that to draw the attention of us to say, listen, we know that we're attracted to the spiritual realm. We know that we're attracted to these angelic messengers. But remember, the things that are said about Jesus are never even hinted about concerning the angels. And I love what the author of uh, of Hebrews does. He doesn't just write off the cuff about Okay, right now, this is what we know. But he takes these readers back to what they knew in the Old Testament. And if you have your Bibles open, when you look at Hebrews 1, verses 4 through 14, you you might have a lot of words that are like lowercase capitals. Maybe that's the best way I can explain it. That's a sign to us. It's printed that way for us to show that what is being read is found in the Old Testament. There's a lot of Old Testament quotations in this passage. And it's done so so that these readers from a Jewish background could say, yeah, we know what was said in those places. Oh, right. You're right. Those things were never said about the angels. They were only said about the one that was to come that is called the Messiah. And it's a reminder to us that Jesus deserves the place that is due only to him. So for to which of the angels did he ever say? You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. The son has truly eclipsed the angels. You are my son. This is a reference to Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. Psalm 2 is regarded as a messianic psalm. It's a song of hope in the promised one that is to come. The Jewish people would have understood that there was a promised one to come that would make everything right. That he would be the sovereign king of the universe. That he would be the sovereign ruler of the world that we live in. And to a people that lived in in a lot of turmoil, a lot of frustration, a lot of worry about Enemies coming around them on every side. God would settle everything through the gift of his son, the Messiah. You are my son, Psalm 2 says. Today, I have begotten you. This points to the divine work of the Messiah to come. The author is saying of Jesus that he is God's son. And then he quotes in the remaining verse... 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. Now, about six months ago, we, we finished the study on the life of David. And we looked at this passage in David's life. 2 Samuel 7 is the passage that, that shows us the promise that God had made to King David. It's called the Davidic Covenant. And in this promise that God made to David, he said, David, through you, I will establish your throne and it will reign forever. Now, we know that David died and he had a son and he died and he had a son and he died. And we know that there was this constant shuffling in the lineage of David of kings that would rise up and die. And some of them were good and many of them were bad. But we read in the Christmas account in Matthew and in Luke 
that Jesus came through the line of David and was born in a manger to be the final king that would fulfill this promise that we read about. I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. See, in this promise that God made to David and that God made to Israel and that we read about being fulfilled in Jesus, what God is saying is, when I send the true king, you will have everything that you ever need. You will have no need for anyone else. I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. And when Jesus had completed the will of the Father by dying on the cross for our sins, when He was buried, resurrected, and ascended to heaven, He was raised to the Father's right hand. Jesus established the eternal throne of David. His kingdom will have no end. And as the Son of God, Jesus has received permission to rule the whole earth That's what Psalm 2 indicates. The angels cannot compare to this son. They have no kingdom to rule. In verse 6 we read, And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all the angels of God worship him. Here Jesus is referred to as the firstborn, a title reflecting the sovereignty, uniqueness, and superiority of Jesus Christ. Again, there's a quotation from Deuteronomy 32:43. Now what's interesting is if you're jumping back, if you're fact-checking me, which you should... If you go back to Deuteronomy 32.43, you're not going to read this phrase in Deuteronomy 32.43. But it's a quotation from Deuteronomy 32.43 from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, which is the Old Testament of the people that were reading this, the Greek translation. It's called the Septuagint. And that was inserted. That was the translation of Deuteronomy 32:43 that the angels of God worship him. That doesn't mean that they made something up. God inspired the New Testament and that quotation is taken over and it's a part of God's inspired word. The angels worship Jesus in Luke chapter 2 as we read in the first advent as they visited the shepherds in the middle of the night. And the angels will undoubtedly worship Jesus in his second coming. Angels don't worship other angels. They only worship God. Their job as God's heavenly messengers is to lift up his name. In verse 7 we read, And of the angels he says, Who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire? This is a quote from Psalm 104, verse 4. The angels only do what God tells them to do. They're like the wind blowing around. They're like fire in the way that fire can bring judgment. And the angels are a part of God's judgment in the world. We see that as the winds blow, they, they respond to the sovereign act of the Creator. And that is what the angels do themselves. Now think about this for just a second. 
there's an exponential amount of angels. The, the Bible says they're called myriads of myriads, which is ten thousands upon ten thousands. Like it's an exponential number of angels. They, they've been created by God. They're all named by God. Angels don't have more angels. They're, angels don't have families. There's no dad angel and mom angel. All that were created are what is created. And there's a lot of them. And they are active in the unseen places of the world. In the spiritual realm. Like right here. In the spiritual realm of this room, there are angels that are attending to the saints of God. And we know that in the unseen realm, there are also bad angels, demons, that are in places like this right now. Now listen, this is like Pastor Todd's thought. You know when like the cell phone goes off at the worst time ever in the church service? <laughs> There's some kind of like demonic activity going on with that. <laughs> but listen, there's a war going on. There's a war going on for the attention of your hearts right now. And God has sent his angels to watch over and to protect his people like winds blowing in the air. And yet those angels who are active here are still inferior to the sun. And so let's move down to verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? He's never told the angels, sit at my right hand. That's the place reserved for the sun, the place of power and dominion and authority, the place of inheritance and, and, and the place that belong to the one that inherits everything. And to which of the angels has he said, I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, this is Psalm 110, verse one. The angels stand and serve, but the son sits and rolls. When Jesus returned in his second coming, all of his enemies will be a footstool for him. In fact, we, that phrase, a footstool for your enemies, is actually the act of a conquering king putting his foot on the neck of his adversary. We, we get it from the book of Joshua. When Joshua was commanded to go into the land and to take the land, they actually did this to the people that they conquered. Jesus' enemies will be but a footstool in his return. Psalm 110 verse 1 is the most often quoted verse about Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus himself quoted it on two occasions to show that he will reign as the sovereign king. The angels do not rule a kingdom. They only serve a sovereign king. But look at the job that the angels have to do in verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? What a job. What's their job? To watch over us. That's amazing to me. Now you might say, oh, I have a guardian angel. Well, I don't know about the theology of guardian angels. 
But I know that angels keep watch over God's people. I know that they render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. They are perpetually being used by God to help us. God's primary purpose for his angels is to serve believers. They are active in strengthening and protecting us so that we will inherit the full realization of our salvation, which is to be with Christ in glory. If you have your bulletins, you can read the verse on the, the top of the, the left hand side. Hebrews 13 two. right? Do not neglect hospitality to strangers for, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. That's a real thing. If you stop and help someone along the road, you don't know who you're entertaining at that point. You don't. Be cognizant of that. But angels have a ministry to us. A great ministry to protect us. But let me wrap up with these two thoughts as we kind of keep that perspective of who Jesus is and the place that the angels have. Uh, The first thing is this. No angel can save you. No angel ever had flesh and blood to die on a cross for your sins. We have flesh and blood and with our bodies we have violated laws. But the Lord Jesus laid down his life to pay for our sins. And he did it by shedding his blood. His body was nailed to the cross so that we could live forever The amazing gift of Christmas is the simplicity of receiving the gift that God gives. You don't have to do any kind of crazy thing. Jump through hoops or get your life together. All you need to do is receive the gift of the King. And Christmas serves as a wonderful reminder every time of this year that God is with us and that God is with us because He loves us. No angel can save you. Hebrews 1 verse 3, as we looked at last week, after Jesus had provided purification for sins, sat down. Nothing more that needs to be done. The second thing is let's understand what the author is doing here and talking about the relationship of the angels in the Old Testament with their ministry now in the New Testament. And the, the point is this, that God's new covenant is far superior and greater than the old covenant. I think that's important for these readers here because they're constantly going to be reminded, don't return to the law. Don't return to the religious systems. Don't return to the things that seem comfortable because you can attach value to it and say, if I do this, then I do this. If I do this, then I do this. And then we, we go through life with a point system and think, I'll make it all right by what I do. The new covenant is believe in the Son and once and for all, you are forgiven forever and you are beloved by God forever. There's a new relationship, a new promise through His Son. Don't drift away from the person of Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on Him. Pray to Him. Talk to Him. Listen to Him speak through His Word. Serve Him and worship Him. Saturate your mind with who Jesus is as the far superior Son of God. Don't forsake the new promises.
and worship Christ for His infinite greatness. Let's pray.